does it mean to truly live? I mean, there are all sorts of variations on that question, right? Like, what, is, what does it mean to live the good life? Um, what does it mean to be living the best life? How do I live life to the fullest? Really, what does it mean to truly live? That's a question that I think everyone wants to know in part, in part because we know that our time in this world is relatively short. Moses says in Psalm 90 that the days of our life are 70 or 80 years if we have the strength. And so because we know to some extent that there is a timetable on our life, we do not want to waste a single moment of it. And so to not waste any of it, we ask the question, what does it mean to truly live? That question is at the very heart of Ezekiel chapter 37, the the words we heard read from our first reading. But the way that God asks it is in a much starker way, isn't it? Son of man, can these bones live? Now, the prophet Ezekiel, he carried out his work uh, during what I consider to be the most turbulent time in the history of God's people. Ezekiel was born to a family of priests in the southern kingdom of Judah. Well, a man named Jehoiakim was reigning over Judah. Now, at this time, the Babylonians had risen to prominence as the world power. And when Babylon came to Judah and to Jerusalem, what did Jehoiakim the king do? He laid down. He said, you know what, Nebuchadnezzar, you have your way with Jerusalem. I'm not going to put up a fight. And so Nebuchadnezzar, he carried off 10,000 of the brightest and the best of the Jews, including a man named Ezekiel and his family. He carried off all of the beautiful articles that belonged to the Temple of Solomon that really belonged to the Lord. After Jehoiakim laid down for King Nebuchadnezzar, there was a new man who was put in charge of Judah, a man by the name of Zedekiah. Now, like Jehoiakim before him and so many of the other kings that came before him, they all did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And Zedekiah, he rebelled against the person who was the most powerful man in the world, against Nebuchadnezzar. And finally, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had had enough of this holy city of God. So he came and laid siege to it. And he tore down her walls, and he decimated the temple of God, and reduced the people of God to a pile of rubble. Now the people of God were living as foreigners in a city not their own, removed and cut off from the city of God and from the temple of God. And so it's understandable when you you find out the thing that you would often hear exiles living in Babylon saying as they were walking the streets. My bones are dried up. My hope is gone. I am cut off. Israel had been reduced to a pile of bones. And that's what Ezekiel is shown in Ezekiel chapter 37. I mean, look at, the, look at the stark way that he describes this. He says, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley. It was full of dry bones. And he led me among them around and around. There were very many of them on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? Now, the house of Israel, the people of Israel, physically, they were alive, weren't they? They were living in exile, but their hearts were beating. They were conscious. Their, their lungs were breathing. They were blinking, right? They were alive. And yet, spiritually, this is what they were. 
they have been reduced to a valley of dried up bones, over whom God says, Son of man, can these bones live? How in all the world did Israel get to a point where they were nothing but a valley of dry bones? To understand that, you kind of got to go back a little bit and remember who the people of Israel were. The Israelites were the chosen people of God. They were the ones whom God heard in their turmoil of slavery in Egypt and rescued with his mighty arm. They were the ones that God picked up and placed down in the land of Canaan in a promised land that was to be a home of their own. They were the ones that God chose for the specific purpose about bringing about the salvation of the world. They were going to be the ones through whom the Messiah, the Messiah was to come. And as God's chosen people, God gave them a really simple way to be able to show that to the world. It was simple, but not easy. Well, they were traveling to the promised land. They made a stop at Mount Sinai, the place where God gave the Ten Commandments to his people. And God made a covenant with them. He said, if you obey these commands, I will be your God and you will be my people. Simple, but not easy. And as sinful people often do, well, the Israelites, they, they didn't think that the kind of life God called them to live was truly living. They didn't like all of the demands that this covenant set up. If you obey these commands, I will be your God and you will be my people. So they well, they turned their backs on God. Now, God didn't turn their backs on them. God constantly sent them prophets with messages of repentance, right? Like the prophet Jeremiah, who is a contemporary of Ezekiel, the man who is seeing this vision. Jeremiah says to the people of God who are still living in Judah, he says, if you amend your, your words and your deeds, I will let you dwell in this land that I gave to your fathers of old forever. Even Ezekiel, to the men and women who are in Babylon, he has a very similar message. He says, turn, turn from your wicked ways and live. But they don't, because they don't think the kind of life that God has called them to live is truly living. And at a certain point, God has enough. And through the prophet Jeremiah, he says, though Moses and Samuel, these two pillars of the Old Testament people of God, Though Moses and Samuel stood before me, yet I will not turn my hearts to these people. Send them out of my sight. Make them go away. How in all the world did Israel get to a point where they were nothing but a valley of dry bones? Well, they answered the question, what does it mean to truly live in the wrong way? They thought that there could be life, that they could find life, that they could truly live apart from the Holy Spirit, and apart from his word. Now, these were men and women and children who had the word of God, who had the spirit of God, who had the dwelling of God in the midst of their city. And yet to them, that wasn't enough. That wasn't truly life. So they turned their backs on God, leaving him behind in the dust, and instead followed those wicked kings who, who set up idols to false gods on every street corner in God's holy city. They followed those wicked priests who sacrificed uh, sacrifices to false gods in the very temple of God, the dwelling place of God, and even, even the way that they acted toward each other. They thought truly living wasn't about, wasn't about helping and loving each other, but rather truly living was serving yourself. So they turned their lives over to murder and to greed, to lust and adultery. 
And they thought, this is what truly living, this is what living life to the full looks like until they are reduced to nothing but a pile of bones in a valley. Son of man, can these bones live? And yet I would be lying to myself and lying to you if there sure aren't days where I find myself saying the exact same thing that the people of Israel were saying while they were in exile. My bones are dried up, my hope is gone, and I'm cut off. Do you know what I'm talking about? Those days when life feels like one big, long, uphill battle that you're never going to win, and you surely, surely don't have the strength to win it. Those days that, oh, they just seem hopeless. Hopeless because of the turmoil in the home, the, the hardship at work, the constant fights and arguments that you're having. The days in life when you're surrounded by, by people that you love and people who love you and it just nobody seems to understand. Nobody seems to get the struggle that you're having. Nobody can empathize with the problems that you have. And so your bones feel dried up. Your strength feels zapped. You feel hopeless. You feel cut off. And for studying Ezekiel 37 this week, and, a lot, and with a lot of introspection, I, I came to figure out why, by the grace of God, I feel like that. The days I feel like that are the days when I answer the question, what does it mean to truly live, when I answer that question in the wrong way. Those days where I feel like my bones are dried up, my hope is gone, and I feel cut off are the days where I think that I can have life apart from the Holy Spirit and apart from the Word of God. Now, as evidenced by your attendance here this morning, you are a people who deeply value the relationship you have with the Holy Spirit and with the Word of God. You deeply value the Word of God because it is the very thing that the Holy Spirit works through to strengthen your faith and to give you hope and promise and strength to, to face another day in this wicked and sinful world. You're a people who value the sacrament that we're going to receive in a few minutes, the very body and blood of Jesus, for renewal and refreshment and for life. You are a people who value the Holy Spirit and the Word of God because of what it tells you, that you were sinners bought at the price of Jesus' blood and life, you value the word of God because it tells you exactly how you were to live this kind of set-apart life in this world that God calls you to live, a kind of life that, that is lived because of whose you are, that you belong to God and who you are, that you are a child of God. All of those things are really easy to hang our hat on when we're within these four walls. Or maybe we have a couple more because that weird jut out. But there's, it's really easy to, to hang our hat on on those truths when we are in this room surrounded by other people, but the minute 1030 hits and we walk out that door, life changes. And it's not that God's definition of truly living changes. But we try to change the definition. We try to change the definition of what it means to truly live because we like to see how the world lives. And sometimes we wish we could just be more like the world. We like to, 
to think that truly living is found in all of the things that we accumulate for ourselves and amass in this life. We like to think that the definition of living your best life is found in, in putting your hearts toward altruistic or philanthropic works because in them you're going to find some hope and purpose and strength. We like to even try to, to find our hope and purpose and meaning in this life in other people and in other passions. And we do this and call this truly living. Well, because it's easier than living the kind of life that God calls you to live. We can even get, I don't know what you would call it. I can't think of the, the, the right word, syncretistic. Syncretistic is like the, the mixing of, of two, uh, a blending of a bunch of different ideas. Right? As Christians who, who love the word of God and who understand what it is like to live, to truly live, we like to take the parts of the word of God that make us feel good and make us feel like we are living our best life and leave the other ones behind while at the same time mixing all of these ideas of the word of God with the ideas and passions and pleasures of this world and then define true life in that box. But is that truly living? Stop and ask yourself, because I know that we've all tried this before. Stop and ask yourself, when has any of the stuff that we pursue as truly living ever given you the hope and the strength and the happiness and the satisfaction that you've been looking for? Seems like it works sometimes, doesn't it? But at the end of the day, you're left feeling hopeless, with your bones dried up, and feeling cut off. You end up like Israel, over whom this Ezekiel, or God asked Ezekiel, son of man, can these bones live? Look at what Ezekiel, what Ezekiel says to God in response to this. God asked me, son of man, can these bones live? Oh, Lord God, only you know. Right? Ezekiel is admitting what we have to admit about ourselves, that we are impotent to make anything that is dead come alive. Ezekiel is saying, God, only you can do this. I have no business even considering this. And then he says to Ezekiel, prophesy to these bones, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Well, Ezekiel was prophesying just as God had told them, speaking the word of the Lord to these dry bones. He hears this noise. The, the Hebrew describes it like an earthquake, like this rattling noise. And he looks around in the midst of this valley where he is standing. And all of a sudden there are bones flying everywhere that they are coming attached bone to bone. And the, that's the noise he is hearing. And then he watches as tendons attach these bones together and skin and flesh cover these bones. But, but do you know what he notices? There is no breath in them. No breath. So now instead of standing on top of a valley of dry bones, he is standing in the midst of a great army of lifeless corpses. Son of man, can these bones live? Not without breath. And then God tells him to prophesy again. 
says, prophesied to the breath, come four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. And the breath enters into these lifeless army of corpses that is standing before him and they live. Son of man, can these bones live? And finally, he is forced to admit, yes, but only with your spirit and only with your word. All right, that's a rather stark vision that Ezekiel sees. Scary almost. But it has a purpose. Because what God is doing with this vision is pointing Israel, pointing all of those exiles who are constantly saying, our bones are dried up, we are hopeless, we are cut off. He is pointing them forward to the future, to a restoration. And look at the beautiful way he talks about this. If it goes, there it is. Say to the whole house of Israel, my people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open up your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. It's not that God just prophesied about this. It's that God actually accomplished this. He allowed that valley of dry bones to come up from their grave of captivity. He put his spirit in them and gave them life. He allowed them to return to the holy city of God and rebuild it, to put up her walls, to rebuild her temple and reestablish worship life where they come into contact with the spirit of God and the word of God. Son of man, can these dry bones live? Yes, with the spirit and the word of God. Now, this whole vision of the Valley of Dry Bones seems like kind of an odd thing to be looking at on the day of Pentecost, isn't it? This beautiful day that is the the birthday of the Christian church, the day when Jesus fulfills the promise he made to his disciples, I will pour out my spirit on you. It's an odd thing to, to talk about a bunch of bones and death and decay. Well, until you see yourself in that vision. Because when we were brought into this world, we were brought in as nothing but a sack of dry bones. As harsh as it is, that's the reality. We were brought into this world as lifeless corpses who had no power to bring, bring ourselves to any sort of life, to find life, to know what it is to truly live. And so if Ezekiel were to speak that question over us, son of man, can these bones live? The only answer that we could give is no. We can't, and it's not that we even deserved life. None of us did. None of us deserved to have life or to know what what truly living looks like. But that's kind of the point. Because of who God is, the God of arrow pointing down love, he does what he does to people who do not deserve it. And he gave you life. He made you alive and showed you what it's like to truly live. And the way that he did that is in just this simple way with a few drops of water and in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, he poured out his spirit on you and he gave you life. He set you up for a life that is truly life. I want you to understand the power that those words carry because what was it that caused those dry bones to come alive? It wasn't some fanciful miracle or show of power. It was with the word, wasn't it? And that's the same way that God in Genesis chapters 1 and 2 tells us about how he brought this world into being through his spoken word. 
And that is the same way that your God makes you alive, through his word. Through his word, he pours out his spirit on you and he gives you life. Son of man, can these dry bones live? Yes, with your word and with your spirit. And when you are given the spirit of God, do you know what you possess? You possess faith. You possess a knowledge of the Lord. When you possess a knowledge of the Lord, you know who he is. The God of undeserved grace, the God of arrow pointing down love. You know exactly what it is that he has given to you. He has given you the full and free forgiveness of sins because of the innocent death and resurrection of his son. From the very moment that your God poured out his Holy Spirit on your heart and gave you his word, he gave you true life. He gave you life to the full. Now in Ezekiel 37, God is pointing the Israelites, the people, of, the people of God, forward to their future restoration in Jerusalem and rebuilding that city. In this text, God does the same thing for you. He points you forward to the future restoration that is going to be yours. He says, my people, to each one of you, my people, I will open up your graves and I will raise you up from them. I have declared this and I will do it. When you understand this truth, the truth about what is waiting for us, it shapes fundamentally the way that you look at this life. Because you understand that, that we don't live for the here and now. We don't live to chase the passions and pleasures and pursuits of this world. We live for the future. We live for the promise of that restoration where God will open up our graves and raise us to new life and plant us in the new Jerusalem, a city that is ours by right and inheritance because we are baptized children of God. When you understand this truth, it makes you rethink everything else in this life because in your heart, this truth of knowing what truly living actually is, having the Spirit fill your heart and clinging to the Word of God, it creates a hierarchy in your heart and shows you that everything else in this life is ancillary to that promise of restoration. True life, truly living, living your best life, living life to the full, it has nothing to do with things of this world. It has nothing to do with altruism or philanthropy. It has nothing to do with, with the hashtags you place next to photos of you at a pool with a nice drink in your hand. It has nothing to do, nothing at all, to even do with us or the things that we do. Living your true life, living your best life, however you want to put that, it all comes down to this. It comes down to God making dry bones come alive. It comes down to your God placing his spirit in your heart and giving you his word. And when you cling to his spirit and you cling to his word, you have life. You have life to the full and you understand what it means to truly live. So if you are ever asked, son of man, can these bones live? How will you answer? Yes, because of your spirit on my heart and your word that I cling to. And we know, we know that what God makes alive can never die. Amen? Amen.